0: This is a download from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Ringgit and Sense on BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Good morning, you're tuned in to Ringgit and Sense, the show all about personal finance, and I'm Sim Weeboon. For today's episode, we're recapping some of the memorable conversations we had on the show throughout the year. One of the topics we delved into in the show was on weddings, and Roshan Kaneshan had a discussion with Soraya Zainudin, a personal finance writer for RinggitOringit.com, and Nirmala Subramaniam, head of the household financial education department with AKPK. They talked about how much should a wedding cost, why you should avoid taking on debt for a wedding, and managing familial and societal expectations. Now, Soraya, back to managing expectations. When you were speaking to your husband about the expectations, were there any difficult points in the conversation, things that needed to be hashed over time? And um, do you have any advice when it comes to speaking to your spouse about the expectations and the spending on the wedding?
1: I think that overall, when, when it comes to wedding planning, there's always this sense of it's your day and I think the faster you accept that your wedding day is is as much your parents' event as it is yours, it's better. Um, A lot of people actually do say things like, why why have your parents' friends or people you don't know at your wedding? But when we see it from their perspective, they forget that for many parents, opportunities of reunions with their friends get less and less over time. Many of their peers would have passed on, so they, they really do cherish the ones who are still around. Um, and events like this, like weddings, is the perfect time for them to meet all their friends at once. So I think viewing it as a group project rather than a personal project is really important. You have to find that middle ground. This is the time and the opportunity for you and your families to see how well you work together, how you manage expectations, how you work with different personalities. Uh, for example, I'm not a big fan of reception in general, but as soon as I saw that it's really important for my parents, his parents, um, I, you know, I went along with it and just, Tried my best to be as collaborative as possible. Um, In in one sense, you know, you want you want you also want to start the the married life on a good note, right? Um, With no fighting. So I think the issue is as much as being in budget, also to not start it on the wrong. Putting and fighting about it. For me personally, once I I told my parents, "Yeah, okay, you know what? I'll I'll do it for you. Like, I'll do the reception for you." Um, and then I can see how incredibly happy they were, and from then on, they were much more, you know, much more um open to listen to my budget-friendly ideas, and from then on, it just. It, it just went incredibly well.
0: Now, Nirmala, just following up from that, uh, what advice do you have for young couples who are planning or going to plan their weddings?
2: Definitely have a budget. Nah. <laughs> you, you know how much you can afford to and go with it. And first and foremost, I think the most important thing is understanding each other's money behaviour. You know, you have to understand, like I agree with Raya, family's expectation, you know, my child's wedding is something really big. I, I really want to have it well. So I think it's about... Sitting and talking and understanding each other's expectation and actually how much we have—that that's very important. And of course, uh, research out for good bargains. And now uh, things are different; you've got to do it differently. So you have to research out for and see what are the good bargains that you can get. Yeah, and um, be flexible too. There there will be a lot of peer pressure. I see. I think it's not an easy task uh, when you when you discuss. The more you discuss, the more ideas will be thrown in, the more things. Sometimes it's good. Sometimes it can be quite challenging, actually. So it's back to the basic. You have to be a little bit disciplined, but uh, be a little bit flexible too, but also knowing how much you can really do have. But another most important thing is many needs to have is a buffer. Please have a buffer. So if you have a budget of, 50000 or eighty thousand. Don't plan your expenses up to eighty thousand. That will be an issue if there is an emergency because emergencies happen anywhere, everywhere. You know, you will never know.
0: That was Surya Zainuddin, a personal finance writer for Ringgit o and Nirmala Subramaniam, head of the Household Financial Education Department with AKPK. Now. Retail investing had been on the rise even before the pandemic hit the world, but COVID 19 gave just the push required to send young investors all over the world, to the financial markets. Now, many young adults who were stuck at home due to the lockdowns with no other way to enhance financial security tried their hand at trading, and this gave a rise to the phenomenon known as meme stocks. So for some clarity into investing in stocks, Roshan Kenison spoke to fund manager Danny Wong, the CEO of Eureka Capital, about the bare minimum you should know before buying a stock. What do you think
3: are five things every new investor should do or know before buying a stock? Uh, first one, you must understand our well, ourselves. And know our limits, our risk tolerance level. Uh, don't overstress ourselves, right? You don't buy something that we don't know. Right? Investing uh, requires time to reward. You know, again, do not speculate on quick gain. So we must understand ourselves. Secondly, um, understand what we are investing in. Avoid what we don't understand or we can't understand. You know? Investing is just like buying a piece of ownership in a business. Figure out the value or the future of the company. You know, if you want to, let's say, open a restaurant or, or partner with somebody else, you must know the business, right? Similarly to investing. Know the management team. Know the shareholders. Also know the business, whether got future or not. You know? Again, uh, the risks are within our parameter, right? So don't, don't, don't invest something that's beyond our, our, our reach, right? Uh, insist of margin of safety. I only purchase those securities when they are, they are, their market price is significantly below uh, 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 their intrinsic value. Um, and understand, of course, the, the market dynamic of risk profile. This this is number three, right? Um, analyze the current valuation level uh, and the various market drivers like the economic growth, the corporate earnings, uh, liquidity in the market, you know, the market risk appetite, regulatory and behavioural changes, and so on and so forth. And the other one is actually important, also monitor our investment post uh, our purchase. You know, after we buy, we must monitor and monitor not only the investment, monitor also the value. Estimate and calculate the future returns uh, on investment based on uh, realistic assumptions as objective as possible. Right, Constantly monitor those assumptions, the market dynamics the company development. Uh, uh, and very important is the value, the value of the stock. So when we talk
0: about valuation, there are a lot of metrics out there. Um, Danny, what are some of the main metrics we need to understand?
3: There are a few common ones, right? The, uh, conventionally, for a conventional value investors, we'll use P ratio, you know, price to earnings ratio, uh, dividend yields, or price to book ratio. Uh, but, some of the growth investors will use like uh, uh, P.E. to growth or price earnings to growth or price to sales. Uh, you know, um, a more complicated one, we, we actually use like a DCF model or discounted cash flow model, uh, discounted dividend models and some of parts for conglomerates, for example. But the most common one is P.E.
0: That was fund manager Danny Wong, the CEO for Eureka Capital. Another emerging trend is the rise of buy now pay later, also known as BNPL. Its growing popularity is a concern because it could lead to a new type of debt trap in the long term. So to find out if BNPL is a new option to help us with cash flow or just another debt trap in the waiting, Roshan asked Idham Idris, Director and a Licensed Financial Planner with Wealth Vantage Advisory about an issue that he has with this new
4: payment scheme. The reason why they are popular nowadays is they offer these short-term loans for consumers who may not qualify for a credit card. Uh, in a recent survey, Uh, more than half admitted that they actually increased their spending by 10% to over 40% when they use these plans compared to using a credit card. And studies have shown that almost 60% of them purchased an unnecessary item that they couldn't afford in the first place. So when they buy outside of their budget, there's a potential that they might miss or make a late payment, which in turn increases the cost of the purchase overall. And of those buying the items they could not afford, half say that they are behind in payments and the other half say they will miss at least one payment in the next 12 months. So, yeah, you can see how that's a very, very, I would say, bad uh, mix of... uh, of things. Should we be worried about this in terms of a new era of debt traps? Uh, for sure, because at the end of the day, uh, the reason why BNPL is popular is for those who may not qualify for a normal credit. Those who are already in the space, in, in that situation where they are not able to get these additional credit facilities, having access to it may cause them to spend more or Go for those items that they may not necessarily need, which in turn will cause them to make what we call financial mistakes.
0: That was Idam Idris, a director and a licensed financial planner with Wealth Vantage Advisory. We'll have more highlights from our conversations on this year's Ringgit and Sense after these messages. Stay with us, BFM 89.9. Welcome back to the best of Ringgit and Cents for 2021. I'm Simwee Boon. Today, we're recapping some of the most interesting conversations we've had on the show. It was revealed earlier this year that more than 11,000 Malaysians have been declared bankrupt since the pandemic began. Now, bankruptcy can be scary for many as it can feel like you've hit the financial equivalent of rock bottom. While it does wipe out your old debt, bankruptcy is a mark on your credit record and it can affect one's emotional and mental health. So I spoke to Nurmala Subramaniam, the head of the household financial education department with AKPK on what the limitations of a bankrupt are
2: so once a person has been adjudged a bankrupt you know, the first thing uh, they would have to do is actually go to the uh, insolvency department right they would have to go to the insolvency department and um, they would have to have uh, do their all their declaration there so uh, the branch that's administrating is normally the same state where the bankruptcy order, was made, yeah. So you'll have to like disclose every detail pertaining to your income to the insolvency officers now, and there'll be quite a number of uh, declaration done there. So then now they will see, okay, what is the amount that you can pay? You know, uh, to, you can pay uh while, a while in bankruptcy. So. It's just the process of settling your loans also, right? But as you mentioned, same, there are a few restrictions uh, when a person has been declared a bankrupt. And this also has been like um, a, a lot of a myth about it as well. Yeah. So basically, uh, the main thing everybody knows is, okay, one cannot travel overseas, Yeah, which is true. You cannot leave the country without the uh, permission of the general... Uh, from the insolvency department or the court so in case there there is a need for this person to travel due to work reasons or any other emergency reasons yeah they can apply for permission and uh, once granted they can leave uh, for that duration yeah and uh, other things that we normally see as we know are uh, practicing in certain professions uh definitely no especially when it relates to a lot of uh, you know set check signings and uh, holding certain positions in statutory bodies, registered societies, and organisations are also uh, a no, and um, they cannot carry on business alone. That means business you cannot run a business under your name, yeah, or in a partnership or by way of a company. Working in a business with a relative, yeah, and uh, but employment is still allowed subject to your organization subject to the employers uh, guidelines and policies yeah and um, and also uh, something that is common uh, that something that they must also know is also on their account you yeah? know all their banking accounts savings account current account this will all also be um, bad but, but if let's say this person is working and the salary is credited to a certain account, he will report to uh, the insolvency department and they would allow this one account to operate. So that's also possible. So there is a, a quite a number of restrictions, but uh, it's it's all a matter of if some things are really needed and um, like traveling, you know, if it's for an emergency purpose or for work purpose, they can still negotiate and talk to the insolvency department.
0: I also spoke to a licensed professional counsellor and a therapist here in core about the mental health impact on being declared a bankrupt and how can you help someone who is in money problems?
5: You know, a very large part of our mental health is tied to our financial well being. And uh, when that financial well being is impacted on negatively uh, vis-a-vis bankruptcy, everything else also is affected you know, including our emotional states and uh, our social behaviours. Um, and you'll understand uh, why this is the case if you look at the uh, restrictions that are placed on bankrupts. Such an individual is, a very, is at a very uh, real risk of uh, developing mental health issues. And uh, if these are not treated in time, then um, they can go on to become disorders and uh, then we will have issues like uh, depression, uh, chronic anxiety disorder, toxic stress. Um, so yes, individuals um, facing bankruptcy or who have become bankrupt are, you know, the their psychological well-being is very much impacted by their circumstances. To give ad- individuals additional protection,
0: how can You as an individual, say you know of a friend or maybe a family member who's going through financial distress, who's going through this situation, how can you help?
5: Actually, that's a a very interesting question. A good starting point, I would say, is always um, don't judge and uh, ask ask yourself, do you even know the full story? Do you even know what happened? Uh, You know, we all know that bad things happen to good people, too. You know, things go wrong in spite of, you know, best efforts sometimes. I mean, just look at businesses that have been forced to cope for the past uh, 18, 20 months, you know, with so little to get by. And this is only one example. Uh, and there are so many circumstances, you know, that we aren't even fully aware of. So, uh, be, you know, a good starting point is ask yourself, do you even know the full story? And perhaps that may be a good uh, way to, you know, reach out to somebody. If you were to make a phone call and uh, you might want to say something compassionate and empathetic like, hey, um, you know, I, I just came to know that, uh, you know, this has happened. Uh, I'm so sorry to know that you're going through such a hard time, you know, but uh, what happened? Would you like to talk about it? And that might be just that uh, catalyst, you know, to get that uh, that person Uh, to want to open up and reach out, you know, don't cast shame. See if you are able to contribute meaningfully, you know, and this could be by uh, you could keep in touch, just listen to the person. And, uh, you know, once the person is done talking, if you have nothing else to say, um, you know, just say, I'm so sorry to know that this has happened. Um, I just called in to check on you and uh, I will check in again. Learn to be comfortable with your own discomfort as well. You know, prepare to hear uncomfortable things. Prepare to see the people that you care about unravel before you. Because they will cry. They will beat themselves up. They will call themselves names, And uh, you have to hold a safe space for them. You know, and, and what does that mean? When I say you need to hold a safe space for them, it means that after all of this is said and done, after everything that you have seen and witnessed, it means your equation with that person does not change. After all this is done, um, your equation with that person remains and uh, they can get back in touch with you um, in the same way as they were able to do before. That's what it means. So uh, manage your own expectations too. You know, Don't ask uncomfortable questions and expect to get comfortable responses because it is a very tough situation you have to make sure that you are able to handle your discomfort comfortably
0: there was professional counselor and therapist here in call In November, the Ministry of Finance made a startling revelation that almost half of the EPF's 14 million members have less than ten thousand ringgit left in their savings. This means that there's a high likelihood that a majority of Malaysians will live in poverty in old age unless mitigation measures are taken. This situation comes off the heels of the COVID-19 pandemic, which saw major EPF withdrawals and a dramatic rise in the number of gig workers in the country. So I spoke to Balkis Yusuf, the Head of Strategy Management Department at the EPF, about the impact of the COVID-19 withdrawals on our retirement situation.
6: So it's $101 billion has okay. been withdrawn okay. from the three types of programmes. So like um, a total of 7.4 million members below the age of 55 and we have about 12.6 million members age, below age 55. So we have another... 2 million or so above the age of 55 because they make the total 15 million members that we have. So let me give you some breakdown of the people that have taken out the three facilities. So... In total, 7.4 million members below the age of 55 had taken this withdrawal, representing close to 60% of members below the age of 55. So, if I look at lestari, 5.3 million members had taken up ilestari. Sinar is more popular. 6.6 million members had taken up taken up I sinar. 5.2 million members had taken up Aichitra. But if you look at members taking up one or two or three combination of any of the above that I had mentioned, it made 7.4 million people who had then applied for this facility and successfully withdrawn. And they had taken up about 101 billion in total. But depending on their eligibility, they can take up any amount in between 21,000. To 000. And of course, following the withdrawals, we project some 6.1 million or nearly half of the 12.6 million members below the age of 55 will have less than 10,000 in their accounts. Because of these unprecedented withdrawals, we have close to 30% increase in members not having even 10K in their accounts.
0: Do you have any indication on how the members might have spent their savings?
6: We do have indication on how they spend the money. We conducted a survey. Out of the 6.6 million members taking up ICNR, 600,000 had responded to this survey, and by any measure, that's a large number of people that have responded to a survey, right? And out of this number, about 87% of the applicants under ICNAR declared that they use it to pay for daily expenses and basic needs. As for iCITRA, we learn from the experience of iCINAR, we make it mandatory for people to state what they use it for. And 62% of applicants said that they use it to finance daily essential expenditure. Another 28% said that they need to use it to pay rent for their houses or pay debt that are critical because the banks are chasing them for other debts that they own for credit card or something. So all in all, all 5 million people answered about 80 to 90% say that they really need to use it for something that we consider as essential.
0: That was Baki Yusuf, the head of strategy management department for the EPF. That caps our retrospectives of interviews on Ringgit and Sense this year. You can listen to all the conversations featured today via podcast on the BFM app or on our website bfm.my. I'm Simy Boon from the Morning Run. Up next is the 10am bulletin, and then Enterprise. Stay tuned, BFM 89.9. Ringgit and Sense on BFM 89.9.